Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so glad that you are here today. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings into God's storehouse. Let's look at one holy scripture. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Now, for those of you that love to memorize scripture, this is certainly one that you want to put to heart. Not just something that we put in our head solely as a memorized verse, but something that moves from our mind all the way into our heart. Now, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, this is very interesting. If, if years back, if, if the denomination in which I was raised if the pastor had stood up and read that verse and said, this is God's will for you because it's God's word verifying that his, that this is his will. Well, I think the church would have been so confused. We wouldn't have known what to do. Why? Because we heard exactly the opposite that God wants you to be poor or God wants you to go through life as a beggar. And then one day when you die and go to heaven, then you'll walk on streets of gold and have all the good stuff. But look at actually uh, what the Bible says and realize while throughout church history, there have been many well-meaning ministers with good intentions, yet they would drift over into areas of religiosity. What I'm talking about are man-made traditions that are not in the Bible, but yet maybe they are still deeply cherished, but they are not God's word. Now, let's go with God's word today, which is this. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. The blessing will make you rich. And that is something that you need to embrace. You need to embrace God's will. Sometimes people say, Pastor Stephen, I want God's will for my life. Now, are you ready for this? Because God's will is that he make you rich. Wow. Now, that's very very powerful. If you were to say to a young person, what is God's, uh, and they say, what is God's will for my life? And you respond with Proverbs 10, 22. I mean, open it up and show it to them. There you go. God wants you to be rich. <laughs> wow. Amen. Now, of course he wants you saved. That's more important than anything else. But you know what? If you're born again and you don't have purpose and you don't, uh, you don't have a good career path, and you don't have uh, job skills, you're going to end up very, very disappointed. You know, I remember uh, studying the life of Dr. D.G.S. Dinakarin, the great prophet from the land of India. Now he lived his life out. He's in heaven now. But his ministry continues on, and the works that he raised up by God's guidance, those continue on as well. And one of those great works is the uh, Compassion Institute. Uh, it's called Karunya. That means compassion in Indian. And today there are many uh, young men and women that are getting degrees in engineering that are being taught uh, leading edge science and technology uh, in the fields, particularly of engineering. But they've, they've grown so much they branched now into many other areas. But the whole reason Dr. Dinakaran raised up this institute, this uh, renowned institute, was because Jesus came to him and appeared to him in a vision. 
a face-to-face encounter, and explained to Dr. Denikaran that many of the young people that were attending his meetings had been saved through his ministry. So you have thousands and thousands of young people that have been saved, but Jesus told Dr. Denikaran, unless they have a viable career path and they have training and skills put into them, they're going to become very discouraged because they cannot earn an income and many of them will fall back into the world. And because of, uh, you know, I tell you what, one of the most, um, humiliating things in the life of a person is not being able to work and not be able to earn an income. So Jesus commissioned Dr. Denikaran to raise up this technical institute so that young people can learn a skill and they can learn a trade and they can go out and be productive and have the, the tools to compete in the modern world. Praise God. Okay. So again, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Now the making of a person from a place maybe of not enough to perhaps just enough to a place where you're actually in a place of rich, where you're in an overflow, all of your needs are met. And now you can even be a blessing to others. That always doesn't happen overnight. No more than planting a seed in the ground happens overnight. You know, we bought a date palm seed back from uh, Jerusalem and, uh, you know, I took it and I planted it in a pot with really good potting soil and things like that and prayed over it. And, you know, it sprouted, and it's actually growing on the front porch of our home right now. Now it's in this little pot, and this thing has the potential to get, you know, probably 20 or 30 feet tall, so I'll eventually have to replant it. But just for that little thing to sprout and come forth, the first blade coming up, it took over two months for that to happen. So the blessing, it will make you rich, but you first of all have to embrace God's will. You have to understand that God wants to make you rich and the blessing is a supernatural empowerment to prosper. Why? Because you don't need to be empowered to be poor. You don't need God's help to take you downhill. Gravity and the effects of a fallen world uh, due to the effects of sin will pull up a person down without anybody uh, contributing to it. That's just the way that things go if left unchecked. So you need power, horsepower to go uphill. Praise the Lord. And that's why the blessing is so important. It will make you rich. Right now, I want you to say that God's blessing on my life is making me rich. Now, I would like for you to make a biblical confession And uh, I would like for you to be very brave because some of you, you might break out into a sweat just by confessing God's word. But I want you to confess right now, God wants me to be rich. Now you understand in some circles of Christianity, that's like anathema. (laughs) They, They throw a, they throw the Bible at you and say it's heresy, but the very Bible they're throwing, it's actually in that Bible. Can you imagine When some of these precious believers get to heaven that railed against prosperity, that preached um, uh, lack and misery and all of these things with great energy, but they're going to get to heaven and realize it was all done in the flesh and it was all in violation of God's holy word. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Now again, say it with great sincerity. God is making me rich. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now we're going to bring the tithes into God's storehouse. And I want you to be mindful also of October the 1st. That's a Sunday, October 1st, 
2024. We celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Out of the three great feasts that all Jewish males were required to go up to Jerusalem to uh, participate in, this was considered the greatest. And on October the 1st, all around the world, believers celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a type of uh, the ingathering. That's actually what it means, the ingathering of all of the harvest. And it speaks prophetically of the ingathering of the great end time harvest. I want you to sow your best seed on October the 1st. I want you to sow uh, into the Feast of Tabernacles. On this great feast, God says, don't come before me empty-handed. And I want you to bring something very, very special. Maybe it's time to break the alabaster box and to pour out something very sacred. I'm believing God that as the, the offerings come in for this special Feast of Tabernacle offering, I'm believing that God will do such a work through His precious people, through you, that we can pay off the remaining balance on the land that we have, uh, the 14.5 acres, uh, the field of dreams. And we want to build on the property debt-free. Praise God. So we've got a little bit further to go. We've got uh, right around the neighborhood of $60,000. But I believe as we each do our part, I believe that we can see that debt completely paid off. Would you ask the Holy Spirit what He would have you to do to sow a special seed into the Feast of Tabernacles, into this work that God has called us to do. And from that land, we will build the TV studio that will broadcast all over the world. Thank you for allowing us at this time to be in over 200 nations of the world through television, satellite TV all over the world. Thank you so much. And I'll be looking for your seed. I would like for you to either get it in on that day of October the 1st, or get it in before that day. Now, if you're mailing it, of course, you probably want to send it in the mail a little bit early. But I know it takes some time to pull together something special. And that's what I'm asking that you would do. Uh, not just like a typical offering, but something very, very special. And I believe God will do something very special for you. Praise the Lord. Now, for those of you that are mailing in your tithe and will mail in your special offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, zip code 28654. Now, if you're going to bring it in online, you can do so from anywhere in the world. Go to stephenbrooks.org, stephenbrooks.org, and that brings up the ministry website. Look at the top. There's a header that says Give Online. Click that, and it will take you to the giving page. And you'll see the words F-U-N-D, Fund. Click that. There's your drop-down menu for your tithe, and also you can give your special offering. Praise the Lord. Now, lift your hands. Father, I pray blessings over your people. I pray, Father God, that you make your people rich. You want them to be rich. I pray you make them rich. And I thank you that they're going to welcome the working of your blessing in their life. And I thank you that the end result, while it doesn't happen overnight, because you, you're very concerned about the building of our character, along with the building of our, uh, uh, our assets and, and the wealth that you're, that you're bringing in. But I thank you, Father, that the end result will be they will stand in their wealthy place and they will surely say, God has made me rich. Now, Father, I thank you they will always be in the overflow. 
and we give you praise. I speak blessing over your people in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. All right. Let's take our Bibles today. I want you to visit with me to uh, uh, back to the book of 1 Samuel. And while we'll mainly be in chapter 7, I want you to see some things that will set this up in chapter 6. And today I want to talk about uh, how God is working in your life to become too hot for the enemy to handle. And I really do believe that, that you will become too hot for the enemy to handle. I would like to uh, elaborate more on that as we get into this. First Samuel chapter 6, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit is moving right now. I thank you that today upon the hearing of your word, many will be set free from burdens, from shackles, from chains, from lethargy, maybe from depression. Uh, there are those that struggle with that. There will be a freedom today. Now, Father, we thank you. Let your spirit move. Let the light of understanding come on, and we give you all of the praise. And together, let's all say, Amen. Praise God for Jesus. Amen. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 6, and let's move down just for a moment to verse 19, and let me grab a drink of some hot tea real quick. Verse 19, Then he, that would be God, struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great fear. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy God, and to whom shall it go up from us? My friends, you know the story of how the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And at the, at the beginning of this uh, new experience for them, uh, they were quite excited, quite jubilant about their presumed victory. And they took the Ark and they placed it, you know, you know into the Temple of Dagon, which was a, it was a, uh, like a dual mixed deity, half man, half fish. And so uh, they worshiped the god Dagon, along with many other gods, of course. But they put the Ark of the Covenant in there. And you know the story how the, how the uh, idol Dagon would fall down with his hands chopped off, would fall down with his head chopped off. <laughs> and that got their attention. But it didn't really get their attention until the power of God began to radiate throughout the area of the Philistine encampment. And as that, what you could even describe as like a divine radiation, went out from that ark, people began to get struck with tumors, rats, I'm talking huge rats, began to show up and began to uh, trouble and uh, the Philistines became a great pestilence among the Philistines. And, and then the women, they could not bear children, and then tumors began to uh, explode in their bodies, and hemorrhoids of un, uh, uh, unbelievable pain began to erupt in their bowels. And it was like agony and misery, and they all knew why. They knew is because, hey, this was never happening until the moment that ark of the covenant that the Hebrews, they worship uh, their God who sits upon the ark. Uh, nothing was ever going on until the, that ark showed up. So they're like, we're going to get it out of here. And they did get it, uh, get it out of there. They gave an offering to the best of their ability just to get rid of it. <laughs> oh, and so it ends up back in the land of Judah, southern area, and rolls into Beth Shemesh. 
And the men there did something very, very disrespectful to the Lord. They, they took the mercy seat, which is the lid, off of the Ark of the Covenant, and they looked inside of it, and God killed over 50,000 of them. God did not appreciate that. And you have to remember also that the Ark of the Covenant was God's throne, and the cherubim with their wings would uh, kind of like in, encapsulate the glory of God as he sat upon his throne. So the ark was his throne, and the mercy seat was the lid or the seat that he would sit on. That's the seat of his throne. So they took the mercy seat off. And also, of course, by removing the mercy of God, they caught the full blast of the law straight on. And so the full blast of the law is you get what you deserve 100% with no mercy shown. And so that's why so many of them died. But uh, they also came to the same conclusion. This is too much the handle. Now, what I want to talk about today is not the fact that God is too much to handle. We all know that. I mean, even the Philistines know that God's too much to handle. <laughs> but what sometimes we don't realize is that throughout church history, when God is moving amongst his people, the church also is too hot to handle. And the church is the great assembly of the individuals who comprise the body of Christ. So in order for the church to be too hot to handle, that means that you have to be too hot for the enemy to handle. And that's what God is working in your life right now. He is doing a tremendous work. So we know God's too much, okay? Nobody's going to win ever against God. The nations compiled together cannot, uh, cannot even budge the smallest toe on God's foot. And so we give God all of His glory. But you have to understand that the church, the bride of Christ, also will become too hot to handle as the church continues to move more and more into the mature image of Jesus Christ in the earth. Praise God. Verse 21, so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjoth-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord, come down and take it up with you. That's because Kirjoth-Jerim is up on a hill. And they said, come down and take it up with you. So the local uh, residents within the small town of Beth Shemesh said, it's too much for us to handle. We kind of like blew it on the first day. Uh, so let's pass the hot potato on to somebody else. And the somebody else was the next closest village, Kirjoth-Jerim. Chapter 7, verse 1, we continue. Then the men of Kirjoth-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Now, Abinadab, he obviously had property up there on the top of the hill of the small town village of Kirjoth-Jerim. Abinadab... From what we know, he was not a priest. The Jewish historian Josephus says that technically uh, Abinadab was actually a Levite. Now, remember, Levites were servants at the tabernacle. Only the priests could actually conduct uh, the sacrifices and the higher forms of worship. And the, the Levites would just assist with uh, chopping wood and running all the errands and doing all the grunt work. 
But you have to realize also that the reason the ark comes here is that we can't really take it to Shiloh. Why? Shiloh was destroyed earlier by the Philistines. You know the story that uh, Eli, the high priest, he falls backwards in his chair, breaks his neck, he dies, his two sons are killed, and uh, you know the, the theme of that story is the glory has departed. And so the Philistines just wiped out Shiloh. So we, we can't take it back there. Uh, we, the whole priestly structure is now interrupted and you know, there's all kinds of breaks in the system. So this is the best place for it to go. And it would appear that Abinadab was probably, you know, a full-time farmer. So he can't, he can't stop his work and watch over the ark because then he's going to, you know, what, what is he going to do for food? He has to plant the crops and things like that. So it appears that Abinadab anoints his son and basically says to his son, look, uh, you take care of the ark and give it your undivided full-time attention. Uh, sleep around it, live around it, protect it, watch over it, uh, observe who comes to it, and I'll keep doing all the work and make sure everything runs smoothly. And so his son was consecrated into that place. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Samuel was there, Samuel the prophet, was involved in this uh, transitory placement of the ark. Verse 2, so it was that the ark remained in Kirjoth Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years. Now the next statement is very important. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. In other words, they, they missed the Lord. They had fallen away, as we would say, from their first love. And once you've had contact in your life with the glory with the presence of God and that sweetness and that richness and that peace that passes all understanding, it can spoil, spoil you in a very, very good way. And you think this is what real living is. And it is. And so they've missed that. They haven't had anything like that now for over 20 years because the ark has been up there in Kirjoth Jerem. Now, Something very interesting about Kirjoth Jerem, and we were there just a few months ago when we went on our tour to Israel, is that it is a hill, and at the top of the hill is where the ark was kept. Now, in the, in the late 1800s, the Lord sent a very godly woman from France, and she was a nun uh, within the Catholic Church, and she went from France, and she was... Uh, transitioned over to the Holy Land to be involved there. And while she was there in the Holy Land, she basically ends up in the area of Kirjoth Jerem. And she just thought, she had a thought one day, this is such a beautiful uh, mountain. Now when I say mountain, it's like a small hill. But it's, it's definitely not like a little hill in a sense, a tiny hill. It's, it's pretty big. It's like between a mountain and a hill. And she just, she began to Help the, help the locals, help the Arabs, help the Jews, anybody that needed help. She would help them because she had training in medicine, and she could bandage people, and she just began to pour her life out uh, in the love of Jesus for the people there. And the Lord spoke to her one day and said, I want you to buy the mountain. Now think about this. Her name was Sister Josephine. The Lord said, I want you to buy the mountain. <laughs> She's like, Lord, <laughs> the whole mountain is yet. He's like, yes, this is the whole, the whole mountain. This is where the ark once was kept at. And I want you to buy the whole mountain. And uh, so 
she uh, she prayed about that, and at that same time, a cousin from France sent her five thousand golden uh, uh, gold uh, uh, francs from France. So she's doing pretty good, but. Uh, she takes the money and she puts it underneath a slab uh, there in the living quarters where she was living at, hides it underneath the floor under the slab. And so she talks um, with one of the local Catholic men who the church always used to buy properties for the church. How many of you know when you go to Israel, the Catholic church, along with the Greek Orthodox church, they own a lot of properties in the Holy Land. Well, this man would be like the designated buyer. And she told that man, she said, she said, the Lord wants for us to buy that mountain, Kirjoth Jerem. And he said, okay. He said, I'll go and uh, I'll put a bid in on it. She said, whatever you bid, she said, do not bid over 5,000 uh, francs because that's all I've got. He said, okay. So the man goes to the sheik who owned it. And by the way, the sheik patrol that whole area. You could not travel throughout that area without paying an exorbitant toll <laughs> that his, I, I wouldn't call them thugs, but that his men enforced upon everybody that traveled through that area. So he was actually a very wealthy sheik. So the Catholic buyer goes to the sheik and says, I want to buy, uh, you know, Kirjoth Jerem, the whole, the whole mountain. He goes, okay. But he noticed at the same time that there was a German man who was also uh, going to make a bid. And the German man had already bought a few other properties in the area. And so when the Catholic buyer saw that the German man was very serious, he made a full bid, high priced offer to buy the whole place. And he told the sheik, he said, I'll buy it for, I think it was like 20, 20 something thousand, 23,700 uh, French franc, golden francs. And so the uh, sheik said, okay, I'll sell you the whole thing. And so papers were signed and everything was done. And uh, he goes back to see Sister Josephine. The Catholic buyer goes back and says, well, you can be happy. He said, you just bought yourself a mountain. She said, how much did we get it for? He said, 23,700 francs. And she just about like, well, I told you not to do that. <laughs> I told you that all I had was 5,000. He said, look, there was another buyer. He was going to buy it if we didn't make a move. And, you know, you said that God told you to buy it and you're supposed to have it for the work of the Lord. So he said, I've got it all signed and sealed. Now you got to go pay him. <laughs> so she runs back to her house and and she says, and she, she says to herself, well, at least we have 5,000. Maybe he'll take that as a down payment and I can, you know, somehow try to pull the rest together. She goes back to her house, takes the slab up, takes the coins out that were hidden underneath there in a bag and starts counting them again. You know, she's going to count the 5,000. And when she got the 5,000, there's still more coins. And she kept counting and kept counting and kept counting and ended up counting all the way to 23,700 coins. And so she called another very trusted sister in and said, you sit down and count this with me to make sure uh, everything, I've ever, you know, because I, I only had 5,000 in here. It's been hidden. Nobody but God knows that this has been hidden under this slab. And so they counted it together, and there was 23,700 uh, golden uh, francs, the exact amount that she needed. She took it and bought the whole mountain. Mm, mm, mm. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory to God. 
Praise the Lord. My friends, God wants to do miracles for you. By the way, we are going to Israel in May of 2024. I want you to come. If you knew how hard it was to get hotels uh, in 2024, you would rush to come on this tour. It is, remember, Israel right now, the nation is experiencing an all-time record-breaking high in tourism. It is almost impossible to get hotel spaces. We've got it reserved. Our tour is just about to open, and I'm going to release the sign-up opportunity here in just a few more days, but I want you to go to the website and you'll see one of the sliders. I think right now it's maybe one of the last sliders on the website, but it gives you that information of when the dates are. Please block the dates because this is a tour you want to catch. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Now, if you'll come with me in May, we're going to go back to Kirjath Jerem. We're going to go back to the top of the mountain. Sister Josephine built the church. Now, in 2024, it will be the 100 anniversary, 100 year anniversary of the church because she completed the building of it in 1924. And God not only gave her the money to buy the whole mountain, but He even gave her the money also to build that church. Well, Come with me on tour. We'll take you to Kirjoth Jerem. We'll take you to the top of the mountain. We'll take you to the church. The church sits over an old Byzantine church that was destroyed, but they built it on top of the foundations. We could not go there on our last tour into the church because it was under uh, some renovations because they're wanting to get it ready for the hundred year anniversary. But I believe when we go in May, we'll be able to go right in and see the renovations completed and go to a special site. There is a room in that church that the nuns can take you to that. If you go through the church, go, you'll, you'll also see the burial place of sister Josephine where they laid her the rest. And then there's a room and if you go into that room, there's a carpet on the floor. The nun can pull the carpet up, and that's the spot where the ark actually literally sat for over 20 years. I'll take you there. Praise God, but you've got to go. <laughs> you've got to sign up. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. And so the whole nation of Israel, they missed God. They're like, God, we've dived into all of the sins of the Canaanites, we, we have fallen into the ensnarements of all of the other tribal nations around us. And now that we've gotten ourselves all dirty and filthy, we just realize there's nobody as wonderful as you. So God is beautiful. God is pure. God is holy. And they want to get back and get right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts... Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So, throughout the Canaanite area, there were two primary gods that were worshipped. You had the male version, and you had the spouse of the male, which would be the female version. You had Baal, and he was worshipped as the god of thunder, the god of lightning, and all of that. And he went by different names, but his primary name was Baal. Then you had the female version who was married to the male, and that person's name was Ashtoreth, and there were many other uh, names also that some of the other tribes, uh, or not tribes, but other, other nations used uh, in their worship, but it's basically Baal and Ashtoreth. So the children of Israel 
had gotten into the habit also of worshiping these gods. So they're told to put them all away, and they do so. Verse 4, So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and served the Lord only. Praise God. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So all of Israel, having put away their idolatry, they now come to the place called Mizpah. And Mizpah in Hebrew means watchtower. So it is the reestablishing of your prayer life. It is putting away all of the distractions and not, of course, all of the sin and saying, God, I'm not only coming back. I want to come back and get close to you, get my prayer life back online. Praise the Lord. And that's why they meet at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines, by the way, there were five of them, and uh, the, each, five, each of the five would rule over a segment area of the Philistines. Let me talk just for a moment about the Philistines. Uh, archaeologists and anthropologists can uh, actually, they have very clearly traced the history of the Philistines. They immigrated. Uh, years earlier, centuries earlier from the island of Crete. And they came to uh, the land of Canaan and they were a seafaring people. And therefore they both, they basically lived close to the, close to the Mediterranean ocean. And they were always like the uh, ongoing enemies of Israel. And it is an interesting question when you think about how close the term that you hear today of Palestinian or Palestine is to Philistine. Is there a connection? Yes. It goes back to the year of A.D. 135 when you had the emperor Hadrian. And he was a hater of the Jews, a hater of the God of Israel, and did everything he could to be a problem for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. So he tried to rename everything. He renamed Jerusalem, took the name Jerusalem away and gave it a new name and uh, changed this and changed that, would do everything he could to stamp out basically uh, what we would know as the Bible, the Torah, the Word of God. And just before he died, like two years before he died, he decided, what's, what's one more like really cruel thing I could do to Israel before I die? So he, de he decided to twist the knife on them really good. And he said, well, who has always been their most ancient? Who has been their greatest enemy? And his advisors there in Rome said, well, his greatest enemy has always been, uh, their enemy has always been the Philistines. He said, all right. He said, let me change the land to Palestine as a direct insult to the people of Israel and as an honor to the Philistines. <laughs> so he renamed the land Palestine. And it stuck like that for a long time. Uh, now remember, and I, I'm going to talk to some, uh, some of you veterans a little bit. You've been to Israel many times, and uh, so a lot of you would know this. Anybody that also knows their Bible well would know this. God not man. God has always referred to that land as the land of Israel. Mm -mm. God gave it to, the, to uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the land of Israel. When Stephen stood up and gave his defense just before he got stoned, he called it the land of Israel. <laughs> he never said, now, uh, the land of Palestine. No, he never did that. He never did that. Well, who are then, Pastor Stephen, the Palestinians? 
Well, it's just like uh, Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said, the Palestinian ideal or the Palestinian concept is nothing but a total myth. They're just Arab people that are made up from a myth. That's what the word Arab means. It means a mixture. It's Arab people that also live in the land of Israel. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. So if you want to know why, sometimes it was called by the British Palestine, and sometimes even today by Christians, they still call it the land of Palestine. And you're like, <laughs> that's not the land of Palestine. That's what a God hater named it. It is the land of Israel. So if you want to, if you want to irritate an Israeli or irritate, especially an Orthodox Jew, call it the land of Palestine and you'll not have very many Jewish friends. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord! All right, Hallelujah! We're uh, we're we're getting a lot today. I'm just throwing a bunch of things out as we're moving along. Now, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said, "There we have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, this pouring out of water is not a Mosaic commandment. You never see this, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Torah as being one of the offerings that God requires. But this, and the Jewish theologians agree, and uh, you know, Christian commentators agree, this is a national expression of Israel's repentance. And the pouring out of the water done by the prophet Samuel is a representation of the whole nation pouring their heart out, of, out to God in repentance and saying, we're ready for a fresh start. Woo, praise God. Amen. And you know what? Uh, God received it as a beautiful offering. And it says that Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. So this is interesting because Samuel is esteemed as the great prophet. And he is. So his role would be one within, uh, you could say, the sphere of, of religion. But now he's actually moving uh, into that position of a judge because Israel has not been judged. And you have people with, uh, basically, they're, they're wanting court cases settled. They're wanting uh, uh, things taken care of. And they want, they're wanting right justice made, who's right, who's wrong. And so he moves into that position and begins to judge the children of Israel there at the place of the watchtower. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And now this is going to now move uh, the prophet Samuel even into a further role where he's not, in a sense, going to be like a king, but he is pretty much going to be now leading the nation. He is going to be, in a sense, even now their military leader. Wow. Now, the anointing will empower you to do whatever God places upon your shoulders to get done. And sometimes it could be maybe something a little bit unorthodox. I mean, here's the prophet raised at the tabernacle, raised in the things of God. And now he's, there's like a war about to happen. And they're saying, Samuel, please, you're the only one help us. And he takes that position. He steps into it because God was working through him. Praise the Lord. My friends, if they tap you, that's very much the Lord, uh, first of all, honoring you to be tapped, and also uh, God's grace upon your life to be that person that is needed in that situation. 
So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Again, this is unusual. The pouring out of the water, we have never seen a sacrifice like that before. But now, a burnt offering, and he's, he's not even a priest. <laughs> and they're not even in Jerusalem. Well, there were times in the Old Testament before God designated Jerusalem as the central place of worship. And he, he even said before that, had even told Abraham and others, there's going to come a place, I'll reveal it to you in the future, where this is the sole place where worship and sacrifices are supposed to be carried out. So up until that point, you would see some, some rare circumstances where God would allow a leader to build an altar, to uh, even give a sacrifice during a very special time. And we see that even Samuel is giving a lamb Burnt offering, that's nowhere recorded in the Mosaic law of these type of offerings being made like this. Yet here he is doing it, and God receives it. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. How do we know? Well, some Jewish rabbis say that they knew that God answered because he actually answered by fire, and fire came down. Whether that's true or not, we do know that God answered because he's about to push back the Philistines. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. And you could, you could only imagine the stress, the pressure that was on the shoulders of that man of God as he is making this offering and not rushing. This is holy. We're not going to rush this. Oh, oh but uh, they're lining up over there and there's some big guys and there's, they're there by the thousands and they've got, they've got horses and they've got swords and spears and oh, oh, hurry, hurry. No, no, no. Let's do it the right way. Yeah, we can feel them breathing down our neck, but if we're going to give God an offering, let's do it the right way. My friends, while you want to have that Holy Spirit flexibility, while you want to have that Holy Spirit ability to go with the flow, don't ever let the devil, though, pull you into a place where you lose your dignity. Don't ever let the devil pull you into a place where you're running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And you're making yourself look silly, and you're misrepresenting the kingdom because of pressure that the enemy is trying to bring. And yes, he can bring it sometimes. Hold your ground. Stand in faith. That's where Saul blew it. Saul got under pressure. The enemy's about to come. They're already, they're lining up too. And he rushed through an offering that he did not have authorization to make. He was not a priest. And he makes the offering and he lost the kingdom. Now he continued on for a while, but at that moment, God's already done with him. He's already done with him. Mm -mm. Be at peace. Be at peace. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. So this was like an ear-splitting, eardrum-blowing-out thunder. Now, of course, they worshiped Baal, the supposed god of thunder, but when they met the real god who created thunder, the heavens and the universe and all there is therein, they were absolutely terrified and confused, and they ran away. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. 
Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. My friends, nobody, nobody would contend really in a sense that God's too hot to handle. We've seen that they, they couldn't handle the ark. The Philistines couldn't handle the ark. People start dying, getting hemorrhoids and stuff like that. And uh, wow, very, very interesting. So God's, God's uh, too much, praise the Lord. But here we see the nation becoming too hot to handle. Why? God comes into their midst. Praise the Lord. And they had missed the Lord in that nearness. They lost all of that. So now they've repented. They've drawn back to the Lord. And you know what the Lord begins to do? He begins to get their enemies off of them. Mm -mm. So when you come back to the Lord in faith, when you draw near to the Lord in faith, when there is a complete surrender and you really begin to get close to the Lord, what does he begin to do? He begins to get your enemies off of your back. <laughs> <laughs> your enemies that are too powerful for you, God begins to fight your battles. Wow. Mm -mm. And you become what? You become too hot for the enemy to handle. He can't handle you. He just backs off, leaves, and he's like, let's the enemy's like, let's go find somebody else to push around who's not stronger than we are. Mm -mm. The church is rising up. Yes, the church is rising up. Praise the Lord. And I do believe that the church will even begin to unify more so that if you push them around, you're going to have to push us all around and they can't push us all around. It reminds me of the time that decades back, the Korean government had a lot of Buddhist officials uh, that were in the government and they did not like the fast spreading uh, growth of Christianity that was mainly mainly taking place through the ministry of Dr. David Youngie Cho. So they said, let's take Cho out. And they came up with false charges against him and false accusations against him. And they said, we're going to arrest you and we're going to arrest your leaders. He said, okay. He said, we'll just make it easy for you. He said, uh, uh, Dr. So, so said, you can just arrest all of us because we're all believing the same thing. We're all unified. We're all practicing the same thing. He said, so how are you going to lock up a million Christians? And they all, the leaders all kind of looked at each other and he said, how are you going to lock up a million of us? Because if you try to get us, you're going to have to get all of us because we're all one. <laughs> and it ended, it ended, it ended. Now, Dr. Cho did receive some further strategies from the Lord to prevent that from happening again within the nation, and it was very, very effective. Mm -mm. Praise God. But stay close to the Lord. Stay close to the Lord, and God will fight battles for you. Let me, let me share something extra also. Some of you have not caught this as a revelation. Maybe you've heard it, but you've never caught the impetus of it. Look. Stand always with God. He's the ultimate winner. And always stand with Israel, the nation. Is Israel perfect? No. Do they make wrong decisions? Sometimes, yes. Is there a lot of sin in Israel? Uh, yes. A whole bunch of it, especially in Tel Aviv. But stand and protect and defend the Jewish people. Why? Because God said in His Word that if you touch the apple of His eye, which is His nation, if you touch the nation of Israel, you've touched His eye. And if you touch His eye, what does He do? He'll cause your own eyes to go blind. And you can't see anything spiritually. You can't understand anything spiritually. And that's what befell 
a good president one time, a good, and he was a good man, President George W. Bush. He was a good man. But what did he try to do? He tried to split Jerusalem. He tried to split Israel. And when he did that, he, his presidency never recovered, and it ended as a dismal failure. And he left office. He left office as a very disillusioned man. Why? He messed with Israel. Don't ever do harm to Israel. In a world that screams, boycott, divest, and sanction Israel, do the exact opposite. Stand with Israel, support, and bless Israel. Praise God. Don't ever forget that all of the men, all 66 books of the Bible were written by Jewish men. All 12 apostles were Jewish men. Our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, is a Jewish man. Stand and bless the Jewish people with the nation of Israel. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because you don't ever want your eyesight put out. Mm. And there are some believers because they hate Israel. They're, they've lost their vision. They've lost their vision. I'm not saying they can't make it to heaven because the grace of God is very amazing. Okay. But as far as being in the plan of God, being in the move of God's spirit, they can't, they can't see it. They can't see it. And just like Moses agreed with Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go take the land right now. There's the flow of the spirit. Let's not just only take it. Let's go up and take it now. And the other 10 said, no, we can't do it. And the nation believed the evil report of the 10. But then later, after God judged them for their wicked unbelief, then, then they said, oh, oh, okay, we'll go take it after all. And Moses said, you better not do it. God's not with you. In other words, if the Spirit's not removing, and you don't jump on the real revival, you don't jump on the real movement of the Spirit, now you try to go on your own, it's not going to work. You have got to learn to move with the Spirit. And in order to do that, you need vision. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. My friends, God will subdue all of your enemies. He'll subdue sickness and disease. He'll subdue lack. He'll subdue all of these things so that you can be free and that you can run for him, that you can live for him, that you can testify for him and witness for him. Praise God. Glory to God. Now, come on, come on and begin to run with the Lord today. I want to share a scripture that the Holy Spirit gave me before I came up to share this message that uh, will help you to move further with the Lord. It's found in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Now, when it says the little foxes spoil the vines, uh, don't think of them messing a few vines up. This actually in the Hebrew means they completely ruin the vines. They're going to eat all the grapes, and they're going to just shred and chew on the vines, and it, your, your whole vineyard is worthless. And so it says, our vines have tender grapes. And so the foxes, the little foxes have destroyed it. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, some of you are underestimating the, the ability of the little fox, and you think it's no big deal. And you're trying to be like Israel, 
turning back to the Lord. You're trying to honor what the prophet Samuel is saying. And maybe you're getting rid of your Baal and your Ashtoreth, whatever. And you're trying to serve the Lord. And even on that day, they fast it. Maybe you're trying to do some fasting. But my friends, if you do the good, but still let the little fox in, it's going to cancel out the good that you're doing. Do you see what I'm saying? That you could, you could, you could repent. And you could turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm back. I want to walk close to you. But you still let little foxes in. You still tolerate things that would bring defilement. Then what happens is you're going to lose the grape harvest. And grapes and the grape juice represents the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, you cannot walk in the Spirit and you'll end up frustrated. So come back to the Lord and be very serious with your walk with the Lord and God will begin and you'll know he's working. You'll know it and you'll know it's working and you'll know he's working. How? He'll start pushing your enemies back off of you and you'll get freedom and you'll get more freedom. You'll initially get some free air or some, how can we say breathing space, but he'll start stomping them down big time. Mm -mm. But come back to the Lord. Like pastor Stephen, what do you mean? Well, let me just give you an example. There's many I could use, but um, the British evangelist, a man that was known for really strong faith and really um, outrageous miracles, was Smith Wigglesworth. But many of us have heard the story of the time that when Dr. Lester Sumrall, as a young man, went to go visit Brother Wigglesworth, he comes over and knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm here to see you. And Wigglesworth says, what's that underneath your arm? He said, well, it's the, it's the daily newspaper. He said, you can't bring that into my house. He said, it's nothing but lies. So Lester Summerall's a young man. Was, what do I do with it? And he rolled it up and threw it over in the bushes. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. You put the word in. You maybe have a good prayer time. You have a good devotional time. Maybe you gave God one hour. Maybe you gave God an hour and a half. But then you turn right around and you put an hour and a half of negative news in. And the, the little foxes come in and eat up all the good that you've already done and neutralize every good thing that you've done. And so you can't, you can't still see these victories where God will start pushing the enemy back. Watch out for the little foxes. Watch out for things that steal your time, eat your time, distract your devotion from the Lord, and pull you away from walking close with God. Praise the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit's really, really moving. Some of you, you know, those Baal and Ashtoreth statues, they found many of them all over the land of Israel. They're little figurines, little idols. They look so cute, but they're so demonic. They're only about that big. Most of them are only about that big. That way they could transport them with, the, with them and carry them around. You can carry your God around in the pocket. How about that, huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you, you have to let the Holy Spirit thin out, thin out those things that would be like little foxes, but they're very, very lethal. Is it wrong? Well, if it's wrong, certainly it needs to go. But some things, they, it would almost like seem like they fall in a grayscale area. But the closer you get to the Lord, you realize that's not grayscale. That's wrong. And uh, people that did have what we would call quality walk with the Lord, you have to get very selective very selective to the point like Wigglesworth wouldn't let a newspaper even into his house. And uh, how true was his statement? It's all lies. How true is that today when most of the news coming from various directions is, uh, it's not accurate and it's not meant to be, you know, you have to realize that 
whether it's news from the printed page, because very few people even read a newspaper today. I don't even see how newspapers stay in business. But whether the news is on a printed page or coming in through some other uh, media way, television or whatever it might be, that stuff can unravel the beautiful faith and the positive outlook that you have. And you could have had a glorious one-hour Bible study, but then you just open the gates wide for the little foxes to come in. And you have an hour of news that tells you how bad the economy is and how bad uh, uh, companies are laying people off or something like that, or this company went bankrupt. Well, maybe they went bankrupt because they have a lousy business plan and they're not doing a good job and they deserve to go bankrupt. But if you hear all of that stuff, it can begin to cancel out all of the good. Praise God. So maybe some of you need a, a uh, pouring out of a water offering. Where you say, Lord, I'm repenting, and I'm coming back, and as a sign of my devotion to you, I'm pouring this offering out of water, and uh, let it be a sign, O oh God, that uh, I'm going to walk close with you and not let those little foxes get in here anymore. Praise, praise the Lord. Some of you, you hear reports, and people send you tweets, or people send you, it's not even called, you know, they'll send you an X message, or they'll send you something, and it's just like always bad news, always something negative, and you want to, you want to think, could you send me something good? <laughs> praise the Lord. You have got to keep your faith up. You have got to keep your joy up, and don't let the filth and the pollution of the Lord, uh, excuse me, of the world invade your safe space. Praise God. You got to be very vigilant. That's why they had Samuel. That's why they had Samuel the prophet. And as long as he was there, uh, that stuff was getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. That's the first thing you're going to see. God's going to get the enemy off of your back. Lift your hands. Father, I speak blessing over your people today. Freedom over your people today. I thank you, Father God, that you are making them too hot to handle. The closer they get to you, you are rubbing off on them, and you are making them too hot to handle. I thank you, Father, you are making the church too hot to handle, and the church, it's not going to be able to be pushed around uh, anymore. I thank you, Father God. We give you all of the praise. Now today, Father, begin to drive out the Philistines from the life of your people. Begin to drive out the enemies of your people. Deliver them and set them free. Thank you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Woo, praise God. God's working in your life, and you're going to see it. Now, for those that are watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come on over, leave the dark side, come on over to the site of light and love and purity. Receive Jesus today. He'll save you from your sins. You can go to heaven and you can enjoy the goodness of the Lord. Now, call upon the Lord right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Wash all of my sins are away. Write my name in your book of life and step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Now, if you are a Christian, you can take communion with us. I want you to grab some unleavened bread, grab a little cracker, grab some grape juice, and let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. Through this prayer, we bless it and set it apart as holy. And we thank you that this is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus, and we receive it as such. 
Father, as we receive the Lord's body, we thank you that you are overthrowing all of our enemies. We thank you, Father God, that as we establish our own watchtower, we thank you that our prayer life is reigniting, and we thank you, Father, that the clouds are dispersing. Thank you for freedom. Freedom. Thank you, Father God, for revival. Father, we thank you. We now receive the Lord's body in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Say, right now, I'm getting rid of the little foxes. Praise the Lord. Some of you know exactly what it is. There's some, there's some fellows watching me right now. You've been watching sports on TV for four hours every single day. Well, I, yes, Pastor Stephen, you're right. I'm going to dial it down, and instead of four hours, I'm only going to let the foxes come in for 30 minutes. You don't even pray for 30 minutes. They'll eat your harvest up. You might need to go cold turkey. Oh, oh, Pastor Stephen, the world will fall apart. You'll notice it'll go on just fine without your attention to it. You're over there rooting for all those people on the field. Nobody on the field even knows who you are. Why are you so invested into them? They certainly aren't invested into you. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Let it wash and cleanse right now. Purge and purify the sons of Levi. Father, we give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Well, let's receive together. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. My friends, thank you for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Walk close with the Lord. And I want to say also thank you for all of you that are preparing your special Feast of Tabernacle offering. Praise God. Thank you for preparing that and bringing that in by or on October 1st, 2024. And also those of you that want to come to Israel on our next tour, May 24. Get ready. Get ready because we're going to go. We're going to go up the Kirjoth Jerem to the very top. Amen. And little side note, for those of you that made it all the way to the end of this message, here's a little side note. After the Lord's resurrection, uh, there were two men that were walking from Jerusalem to the town, the village of Emmaus. They were walking on the road that's called the, the Emmaus Road. Two men, you know the story recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes and joins them on the walk, but he does not uh, unveil himself for who he really is. They reach Emmaus, it's getting dark, and these two guys say, why don't you stay with us for the night? And uh, the Lord says, okay. And so they go and they have a meal. When the Lord was blessing the communion, okay, which we just did, this is the flowing forth of Revelation, then they understood that it was Jesus that was in their midst. Now, for quite some time, for over, for about 200 years, archaeologists have greatly debated, where is the modern day Emmaus? And when the Crusaders went over, about a thousand years ago, they asked around, hey, where's the Emmaus where the disciples ended up with Jesus at? Where's that at? Well, we know from the Bible, from Luke's story, that from Jerusalem to Emmaus is about seven miles. And eventually the uh, crusaders found the place, and they were told this is it. And they built a church there, and they say this is, uh, this is the old ancient Emmaus. 
but it doesn't fit the biblical narrative. It's, it's not the right distance, and it's not the right location, and so it doesn't make any sense. So, archaeologists have always wondered, where is modern-day Emmaus? Where did Jesus end up at with these two men? Okay, so Sister Josephine, who lived on the mountain of Kirjoth-Jerim, had a visitation from the Lord Jesus. And Jesus told her in this vision that the road to Emmaus ended here. Now, in Arabic, it's called Abu Ghosh, but that's a modern-day city, okay? But the ancient first century, you know, right around the time of Jesus, the road from Jerusalem, the Emmaus Road, ended on Kirjoth-Jerim, and ancient Emmaus was on that mountain, and she said, Lord, that's quite interesting because she said, the archaeologists have looked for uh, where was Emmaus really at? And Jesus said, it was here. It was here that I unveiled myself, revealed myself to my uh, two servants. And uh, guess what? In the year of 2019, several leading world-class Israeli archaeologists begin to dig on Kirjoth Jerem, and they found an ancient Roman fortification that was evidence that the ancient Emmaus was, along with other proofs, it was actually there at Kirjath-Jerim. So with overwhelming proof, and it's actually the only place it could be, the ancient place of Kirjath-Jerim is also where Jesus revealed himself to uh, the two uh, men when they were taking communion together. So, let's go there together. Praise God. Thank you for sticking with me all the way to the end. <laughs> I've got more stories for you next time. But have a great week. I'll see you back real soon. God bless you. Bye-bye.